you're getting sleepy, sleepy. And we'll talk about it on this episode of the Mind Dog TV podcast. Is everybody ready for the Mind Dog The Magnificent Show? Start the clock! And welcome, my friends, to yet another episode of the Mind Dog TV podcast. I'm Matt Napo. Thanks for coming. It's great to have you here. We're going to talk about sleep tonight. It's one of the uh, subjects that people write in most and say uh, about topics they'd like to hear us discuss on this program. Uh, not just sleep, but sleep problems, ha- uh, getting to sleep, falling asleep, staying asleep, and general um, sleep disorders that people might have and reasons behind them and possible uh, solutions to them. So I'm excited to have that talk tonight. Uh, before we get started, I want to mention uh, my stepdaughter eloped today, went and got married. And uh, so I'm in, alone in, in an empty house right now, except for the dogs that she left me with. And the dogs, um, once they start barking, uh, you can hear them from everywhere in the, in the house. So I might be in a little bit of trouble here tonight, just giving people a little heads up. Might have to mute my mic while my guest is talking, hopefully, <laughs> if the dogs start to take a, a barking fit. And my wife is due home from her. She's a nurse, and she's due home probably in a, a half hour or so. And they like to bark at her when she comes home, so I'm a little nervous about that. And when they start barking, they don't stop barking until somebody comes in and pays them some attention. So uh, we have two of them here, and they might might get a little loud, just uh, giving a heads-up warning. <laughs> uh, before we get started, and I know you're probably tired of this, I have to promo this project. Uh, not promo necessarily. It's, this is not a sponsorship or a promo, uh, paid promotion in any way, actually. It is an experiment, and if you've been following the program, you know what it's all about. If not, here's the quick rundown, or as quick as I can make it. Two weeks ago yesterday, Chris Burris from SES Research was on. He ha- has a product called My Vital C, which uh, discovered in 1991, went through rigorous toxicity testing. In that toxicity testing, it, they found that not only was it non-toxic to the mammals who uh, was tried on, but they also lived at a longer life, up to 90% longer than their uh, expected lifespan, which is uh, almost double your lifespan. And it was tumor-free, they slept better, and they had more energy. Now, I don't know how you actually measure that stuff in lab uh, mammals, but that is the claim. So it went to rigorous testing for many, many years. In 2013, it was approved by the FDA for human consumption, and humans have been using it since 2013 and reporting extraordinary results. So the claim that Chris made was this could extend my life by as much as 90%, which is an extraordinary claim, first of all, and extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. So I'm a skeptic on that claim. Uh, But he also claims that it could uh, keep your cognitive ability where it is today and um, help you sleep better and have more energy and sleep better is is, uh, something we're interested in here tonight, especially so. Um, I've been taking it on air only to hold myself accountable because I figure if I don't do it on air, I'm going to forget to do it, and then the whole experiment is going to be for naught. He will be back here October 29th, so we have 28 days left of me taking this stuff on the air. I will tell you I've been taking it for 12 days now, 
And I have felt a difference. I have been more energetic. I have slept better. Now, today is an exception because I was up till 4 o'clock in the morning working last night, and then I had a 8 o'clock conference call this morning. So I only got four hours of sleep last night. So by the time my first show started today, I actually needed one of these to kind of boost my energy. So I'm going to take one now. I will tell you the only downside I have had to uh, uh, this product, the only negative thing about it, is that it tastes really, 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 one more really, awful. And so I have to take it with a water chaser. And uh, I have joked, uh, told this joke several times. I'm going to continue to tell it every time I take it. If I have to do this for another 70 years, it's almost worth dying young. Well, here we go. And it's just that simple and just that awful. <laughs> Whoa. That's really bad. Uh, we'll find out. Chris will be back, as I mentioned, October 29th, and we'll, re we'll review my results with it and see uh, how I've done. Um, uh, but for now, and I don't believe it's a placebo effect, I have experienced more energy, uh, better sleep, continued sleep, which has always been a problem for me, and uh, feel feel great. So that's my results so far. Uh, but as I mentioned, we're going to talk about sleep, but before we do that, quickly, I just want to mention my sponsors here. My sponsors are FunWise Capital. You know about them. I've been talking about them for several weeks now. They're a business lender uh, platform. Uh, FunWise Capital is a lender matching platform that gets you the best credit lines guaranteed for your business. Apply online in 60 seconds or less, and there's no effect to your credit score to see how much you can get. Use the funding for anything you need to start or grow your business. I said start or grow your business. In other words, if you don't have a business, but you got a solid business plan, you can get funding for it. And what better time to get funding to start your own business than right now in the COVID uh, economic crisis that we're uh, facing when so many people are still out of work. Great time to start your own business. Get the funding you can or get the best funding you can qualify for. The strategic lender matching platform searches through hundreds of lenders to find the very best possible option for your unique situation. They have hundreds of five star reviews on Google, Trustpilot, and Facebook, and an A plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. They provide unsecured lines of credit at zero percent interest for nine to fifteen months unsecured term loans, loans based on income, short-term gap funding, or bridge loans. They work with real estate, startups, as I mentioned, franchises, restaurants, any kind of business, any kind of project. To get started, it's really easy. You go to funwise, apply.funwise.com slash dog. That's apply.funwise.com slash dog. I certainly do appreciate you uh, patronizing my sponsors. It makes the program alive. <laughs> uh, Dr. Yishan Zhu is with us tonight uh, to talk about sleep, sleep disorders, and their possible solutions. Dr. Zhu is a licensed uh, clinical psychologist and the founder and director of Mind and Body Garden Psychology. She currently serves as a committee member in the Society of Behavioral Sleep Medicine. Ladies and gentlemen, please open up your ears, open up your minds, and help me welcome in Dr. Yishan Zhu. Dr. Zhu, welcome. Oh, your, your mic is muted. Your mic is muted. I don't know how to put this up. Oh, there okay. you go. Now it's good. Yeah. Thanks, Matt, for having me. Glad to be here. Thank you. Uh, so I, I mentioned, you know, sleep disorders. People kind of, we, we think there's one one umbrella that just sleep disorders. There's a lot of different kinds of sleep disorders, uh, and they uh, manifest in a bunch of different ways, and the solutions are very different. I've been kind of studying up on it, so I know a little bit about it. But people uh, suffer from a lot of different sleep disorders. Can we uh, start with just like a basic overview of, of what it is you do? 
Yes. So I was trained in Stanford Sleep Center, and uh, now clinically I treat different mental disorders. But my specialty is treating sleep disorders, especially insomnia uh, or other kind of circadian rhythm disorders. So, like you said, the、uh, sleep disorder is such a big umbrella. There are over seventy different subcategories of、um, sleep disorders, and as a psychologist. I don't prescribe medication, so what I can do is really help people to think about sleep differently, and that exactly can help us to、um, recover from, especially insomnia, because insomnia is more、uh, psychological. It really, it really, I'm surprised to hear that. I and I think most people in the audience, when they hear that, would be surprised to to hear that because we tend to think of it as a physical. Generally, the first place. And, and I'm, I'm not an expert in this, but I think the first place people look when they're having、uh, difficulty sleeping is mattress. I'm going to get a new mattress. <laughs> yeah, yes. I, yeah, that's so true. So many people are thinking about, you know, either my body is broken, something is wrong, or something is wrong with my environment. So I need a good pillow, good mattress, a quiet, dark place. Um, and some people even kick their bed partners out to another room, right, <laughs> in order to sleep better. But the problem is, a lot of them, after they do all this, they are very carefully protect that sleep, and they cannot sleep well still. And then they get frustrated and thinking something wrong with me. Oh, I'm hopeless. What should I do? But it, you're saying it's more psychological than than physical, and most of or more,、uh, I guess, more prevalently psychological than because sometimes it's got to be physical, right? That in some cases, right?、No? <laughs> so I'm talking about mostly insomnia. So for insomnia, is we have difficulties falling asleep, staying、right. asleep, or we end up waking up far too early, much earlier than we normally. Are and、uh, we just somehow we cannot shut down our brain. We just cannot fall asleep easily or stay asleep easily. That is more psychological. We、right. give ourselves opportunities to sleep. We are not able to. So it's not necessarily medical. But there are possibilities. Insomnia can overlap with some other type of、uh, disorders, like medical disorders or other type of sleep disorder, like sleep apnea. We cannot breathe nicely. Then you need MD doctor. You need a sleep doctor for that. But、um, insomnia sometimes do overlap with that. But for a lot of people, they only have insomnia, and they can totally cured、uh, or recovered a lot by seeing a sleep psychologist. Hmm. Well,、uh, I recognize myself in a in the first part where <clears throat> takes me generally two hours to fall asleep at night, and、mm-hmm. it's it's my I can't stop my brain. I thinking about everything that I need to think about for tomorrow. I'm thinking about everything that went wrong today. I'm thinking about work. I'm thinking about、uh, doing the, who's my guest on the podcast tomorrow.、Uh, what, what are we going to talk about and all this kind of stuff? Am, am I am I up? Am I well enough educated on on the subject to really、uh, have a, a good conversation about that? All these kind of thoughts just go through my mind, and I can't stop those thoughts from happening. That sounds like what the first thing, first part you were talking about—the、um, ability to take it or lack of ability to really fall asleep quickly.、Um, right, that's that's kind of hyper arousal. What you just talk about and those kind of racing thoughts, like this mind keep on being so busy, especially at night. It's very Very common among people who are either anxious,、uh, 
uh, or you know high achievers or, and end up having a lot of insomnia same right time. so uh but it's i think I think you would probably agree with this. And I, I'm, again, I'm just shooting, uh, I'm shooting, throwing darts in the dark here because of, I'm not a professional. But I think you would agree that it's probably wrong for me to self-diagnose that, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, definitely. So anytime we have some concerns, you always want to go to see a professional and because they can possibly discover more underlying problem. I, I often hear people ask me, okay, I cannot sleep well. Tell me what I can do so I can sleep better. Right. Uh, I'm sure there are going to be questions like that today, possibly from you or some audience. But I normally tell people, you know, it's not I have a magical some method just tell you, boom, you are cured. I need to do a full evaluation in my clinical work, even for sleep problems. People always come in with all kinds of sleep concerns. I still have to do at least a full session, like 45 minutes um, assessment to know what's going on exactly. What's your sleep habit? What gets in the way of the sleep? Is there any other underlying issues? Is that medical, psychological, or some other things we should consider? And then I can form a plan, say, okay, I think I can help you, or I don't think I can help you, but here are some good resources you can add on. Gotcha. Yeah. So where, where are you located physically? Uh, my, I'm in San Francisco Bay Area. My office is in Los Altos. So can, can, do you just work with people locally to you, or can you work with people in this uh, kind of uh, way, virtually? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as you know, uh, pandemic, we all work virtually. So my own license is in California. So I can virtually see anyone in California. And under COVID, um, the license across the states can be a little bit uh, less restricted. So sometimes, depends on situation, I may be able to see people from other states. But there are a lot of great professional resources for sleep disorders. So if the audience are from some other states, I'm happy to pass some uh, great resources locally in their state. Right. Well, we're, we're way beyond just the other states. We are a big part of the audience is in Australia and uh, a big part mm -hmm. is in Europe. We have uh, people in Africa and Asia. So uh, we're all over the world. Um, so I, I just wanted to be clear on that because it, se it would seem that uh, and you're not a medical doctor, right? So you're not doing a physical a physical exam. You're doing an evaluation of their sleep habits and their behavioral uh, habits, correct? Yes. The best way to treat insomnia actually is cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. So it's a, uh, it can be delivered by a well-trained sleep psychologist. And it's across the world. It's the same called CBTI. I, my own podcast, Deep Into Sleep, I did interview some doctors, sleep doctors from Europe, from Australia. So there are great resources there too. Wow. Um, and the, the, and I, I'm going to stick with this theme of uh, self-diagnosis is bad, but so also self-prescription. A lot of people I know, uh, if they're having difficulty falling asleep, they're going to go to get something over-the-counter uh, melatonin or something like that and think that that's going to be the solution to their problem. It doesn't. It works in the short term, but it, it catches up with you pretty quickly, and then you, you, you're right back where you started. Uh, is that necessary? You don't recommend that as a, uh, a, mess, a solution for that short-term, uh, uh, long-term not being able to fall asleep quickly, that, that 
whatever whatever name you called it, uh, insomnia. What was the yeah, first? Insomnia. Yeah, insomnia. Yeah, so I think it's a very good question. I got that question a lot. I think melatonin has its own uh, way to help certain population, but there's different ways of using it. A lot, a lot of time people use it differently or use it wrong. But overall, what I want to help the audience understand is if we psychologically rely on anything to knock us off and fall asleep. Anything means melatonin, alcohol, marijuana, uh, sleeping pills, or even some tools people want to get from me, like meditation or anything. Like, oh, I use this. I hope after trying this, I can just fall asleep. If we have those kind of idea, it's going to be really difficult for anything to work. Because psychologically, we are depending on something external, something outside to bring in to help ourselves to just fall asleep. But what really can help us is how to listen to our body's signal and understand what sleep is, reduce the anxiety about sleep itself, and eventually our own biology, our own body can be the strongest motive the strongest thing to help us fall asleep so i think mm. eventually that's what the goal is uh that's interesting and, and you know i have i guess i probably if you said i think you said there in the beginning of i'm not certain that i heard you correctly but i think you said the 70 uh sleep disorders can somebody have all 70 of them <laughs> <laughs> that's gonna be really hard actually uh, <laughs> it's normal for people to have possibly several yeah. different types of sleep disorders but if you're gonna have all of them wow right. i cannot imagine what your life is gonna look like well yeah that i i can't imagine what it would look like i think i can't imagine it looks a lot like my life um because uh, he, here's the thing and, and i'm gonna use myself in, in, in a lot of examples with the questions that i have i as i mentioned i can have real difficulty if i go in to lay down to fall asleep get in my bed and get comfortable uh, take me two hours or more. But if I just sit in a, a chair and uh, put on a uh, YouTube movie or something and put it on, I could, I will automatically fall asleep within the first three minutes of, of the movie. I can't watch a television show or a movie, anything like that. It just puts me immediately to sleep and I can't fight it. So that definitely suggests it's psychological more than anything else. Why would Why would that be? <laughs> That's very interesting. I think you have trained your body and brain to associate something with relaxation and sleep. Just like most of us, we over the years, we unconsciously train our brain to see a bed and then immediately feel so comfortable, so relaxing, and then we are on bed quickly, we can fall asleep. And I would say don't pursue like one minute, three minutes, <laughs> Normally, it's very common to have about less than 30 minutes-ish for sleep. That's very normal. Um, and uh, so if you train your brain like, oh, my mind is so busy. If I just lay on bed, it's not enough for me to relax, calm down, and fall asleep. So you did something to add other things. Eventually, you link your brain, link sleep to TV, to some sound, to something, you know, so distracting. So I don't have to be busy in my mind. And then I feel relaxed. I can fall asleep. First, um, when we have difficulty falling asleep or staying asleep, sleep with your pet. 
sometimes is bad news. Um, the pet, either a dog or a cat, no matter how much we love them, if they are on the bed or in the same room, they may make noises at night. They may want to uh, get up, check on what's going on, what's the noise that can wake up uh, us if we already have sleep sleeping problem. And when dog bark, just like just now, for people who already have insomnia, uh, when they hear any noise, not only dogs barking, if at night they are trying to sleep, there's just some noise going on. I know that actually bothers a lot of people. The problem is the more we are focusing on the noise, the more we uh, cannot, like the worse the sleep gets because the more we pay attention to the sound, it gets louder somehow. And we just get more annoyed and it's yeah. become more obvious to us that we are not able to sleep. And right. that's I, just what remind me. <laughs> I, I relate to all this stuff so much because uh, it, it seemed like I've, I, like I said, I, you know, I feel like I probably have all 70 of them. Uh, so <laughs> um, this idea of staying asleep is, 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 always been one for me too. Like um, getting through a night. I, if once I do fall asleep, those little things that will wake me up constantly could be just a really small thing will wake me up. The question I have, though, it, which is really, really curious, I have this all my life an ability to just say I want to get up at, and say the time to myself and be up without having an alarm clock to see and I'll get up at that time wake up at that so how how can that possibly be that while i'm asleep i can keep track of what time it is and tell myself okay it's time to wake up now if that's a, a, a <laughs> an insane question but it really is a, i can do i can say i want to get up at 315 and at 315 i'll get up and i'll go and look at the clock and it sure enough it's 315 every time my whole life i've had that is is that unusual um, it, I would say so accurate, it's possibly not that common, but roughly we are able to set an uh, idea, like when is a, the time we want to get up and yes, our mind can control our body. And because our body do follow a clock also, like daytime, nighttime clock, naturally our circadian rhythm. Uh, so we, we like unconsciously, there's a lot of genes actually do have its own clock and as a whole, they build our body as a human. So, but what you are experiencing, I think is more, you are playing this mind game with yourself. And if you are quite uh, easily to be aroused, you are very like um, possibly on the more anxious, sensitive side, then you set up a time, say, I'm going to get up this time. You, your mind will get your whole body in a, a little bit more anxious state. So around that time, it will start waking yourself up. Like for myself, for example, I have similar experience, not as accurate as you, but it definitely not the best. I use an alarm clock. But um, if I say I'm going to have to get up like five to do something so early, I start waking up and wanting to check the time around 4, right. <laughs> 4.15, 4.20, 4.30, to say, is that 5 yet? So my mind starts being so anxious and keep on waking myself up to make sure I can get up on the time. Uh, and also for people who are naturally um, morning person, like early morning person, that's 
decided by our genes. If you are naturally an early bird, then you don't need an alarm clock. You will be able to get up early in the morning. For a night owl like me, I do need alarm clock, and sometimes I do need more than one alarm clock to <laughs> wake myself up. Yeah, but when I've talked to people who are more of a new age uh, idea and less scientific idea, they will say that um, this is proof. Of my my story there about waking up uh, exactly at the right time is proof of astral projection, meaning somehow you you can be asleep and still be conscious and be uh, being outside of yourself and walking around the room and stuff that, and, and knowing what time it is. And so they use that as a, an, an example of that. Now, Speaking of that, I've my ex-wife had a real problem with sleepwalking, and mm. and sleepwalking and sleep talking, and I would find her walking around the house doing things uh, that take some real conscious effort, and she'd be sound asleep. Uh, what is that all about? <laughs> yeah, that's actually a type of parasomnia, and it's a different type of sleep disorder, and that's exactly the one of those seventies. Um, and I think there's a lot of neurological things happening because normally when we are in our sleep, especially when we are dreaming in our REM sleep, our body are paralyzed. We cannot move. We lose, we, we lose our muscle tones, right? So we actually cannot move our body. We cannot like, um, walk or anything, but for some people, when they have those kind of like, uh, sleep disorders, they could do a lot of things while they're sleeping. Some of those happen when they are not dreaming at their stage of um, sleep. Some of them happen when they are dreaming, when everyone else cannot move, they can move. Right. And then that's different type of sleep disorders. So I think the science still trying to figure out exactly what neurons, what's happening. There are certain kind of chemical things happening. So that's why part of the treatment of that is to see a sleep MD doctor to see whether there's any medication for that. And mostly for sleepwalk, sleep talking, if it does not really bother you, they're not, so far as I know, there are no really good treatment for it. But if it gets too severe, I heard stories that people sleepwalk, they can go out drive on highway yeah. without knowing because they don't have recollection. And even you lock the key, they can still find it somehow <laughs> during their sleepwalking. So it could be dangerous. Uh, and for sleep talking, sleepwalking, you, you can have a conversation with them while they are actually half sleep. They Absolutely. look awake that they are not really awake. And when you talk to them, they can answer you. They can back and forth, but it's not as logical. If you ask a little bit more logical question, they start like, you know, looks kind of sounds kind of weird. Um, but the safety, maintaining the safety is very important for that. Wow. So, yeah. So it's very interesting sleep disorders, I think, doctors yes. are trying to figure out. With her, she was capable of having full conversations. And then the next day I would talk to her about it and she had no recollection of it at all. Like it didn't happen. And it, it, at, when we first got together, 
I don't. I wasn't even aware she was sleepwalking. I was just you. You have memory problems. That's the, <laughs> you don't remember waking up last night and, and you know we did this or we did that. But she would get up and wash dishes in her sleep. She would uh, you know all sorts of things like that that take really some conscious effort. And it was just a, a baffling thing. I don't know if she still has it or. But the question I have is, can you develop that at some point? Like, can you go through a life basically not having that, and at some point? develop that yes yes Yes. Uh, there are a lot of research on different sleep disorders many of the sleep disorders are not we are not born with it some of the sleep disorders is around teenage age or young adulthood suddenly we start having all the symptoms and then they develop into a full-blown sleep disorder and we possibly going to have them for either the rest of our life or for quite several quite several years uh, if we can diagnose quickly and have the good treatment, we can manage it, or some of them we possibly can even cure it. But some of them we're just going to have to learn how to deal with from that point on. Wow. I had a guitar player friend who uh, uh, was in a wedding band with him for several years, and every time on the way home, we would drive home together from, from the gig, and we would be having a conversation, and this was almost every single time I was with them. He'd be in the middle of a sentence and fall asleep, uh, just just like that. Be talking to me like, like I'm talking to you, and just fall asleep just like that. Mm-hmm. What what's that? Is that related to not getting enough sleep at night, or because we could never figure it out? Like uh, it would happen, never happen on the job, thank God. <laughs> but, oh. but it would happen, uh, you know, in, while we were commuting all the time, in the middle of a conversation, talking to you just like I'm talking to you right now, and then be sound asleep, and you'd be like, "Wow, <laughs> what ha- what happened? Uh, is that because it just simply related to not getting enough sleep at night?" That sounds beyond just not getting enough sleep. Um, If you are not getting enough sleep, yes, you may experience excessive daytime sleepiness. That's one of the symptoms, what you just described. Um, But many other sleep disorders can be related to that too. For example, if you have narcolepsy, uh, if you have idiopathic hypersomnia, a different type of uh, disorder, sleep disorder, or if you have sleep apnea at night, you you can sleep for a long hours, but very low quality of sleep because you don't get enough air in. Then daytime, you will feel so sleepy. A lot of people would fall asleep during conversation, during important tasks, or even behind the wheels can be very dangerous. So that could be related to other sleep disorders more than just, oh, I'm losing sleep. I'm not getting enough sleep. But I think among all these sleep disorders, what the most common cause of daytime sleepiness is uh, like sleep, lo- uh, losing sleep, sleep loss, that we are uh, not, we are depriving ourselves of sleep. Is there, is there a specific number that everybody should p- subscribe to as how much sleep is good sleep or is it different for everybody? Uh, I tend to think it's more different for everybody because there's, there are all definitely doctors do recommend a typical number like seven to eight hours of night uh, sleep per night. We hear that all the time, but I know that number is not for everyone. And if every of us 
focus on that number, it may cause unnecessary anxiety if we naturally just sleep less than that or our body just needs more than that. So I would say most people, like maybe more than 50% people may benefit from seven to nine hours per night of sleep. But there are certain amount of people, their body just only need five or six per night. And some people may need around nine. They, they will feel better, more refreshed. So definitely listen to your own body. Listen to what you need. Um, we, we, earlier you mentioned uh, sleep paralysis and dreaming. And how important is dreaming to our o- overall health? Dreaming actually is very important to our um, not only physical health, but also mental health. Because a lot of people tell me, well, I can remember my dream. I think I slept poorly last night because I dream. Uh, So I would say that's wrong. Every single one of us, we all dream every single night, no matter we remember it or not. And we, each of us possibly going to spend uh, 20, around 20% of our whole sleep on dreaming, the, the REM stage. And during dreams, that's an important stage of sleep to consolidate our some of our memories, especially emotional memories. It helps us understand the emotions behind what's going on during daytime. And right. then during the dream, it consolidated re-experiences through dreaming, right? The content of dream and their emotions behind those dreams and then help us understand what's going on and what we can do in the future if similar situations happen. That's why sometimes even nightmares are not necessarily bad things because that's a way our brain try to make sense of this negative, scary things happened in our past and use it a way to show up in our dream. We have a uh, interesting question from the chat room. Uh, I'm going to take a stab at it and then I'm going to let you answer. I, again, Dr. Zhu is the expert. I'm not. But uh, my first response to the question of what happens when you uh, keep waking up through the whole night, what does that mean? My guess is going to be it could be a lot of different things and you can't narrow it down just simply from that question. Now, you, now it's on you. <laughs> Great question. So I want to uh, clarify. So if we wake up often at night, there it could be good, normal. It could also indicate something abnormal. So we want to see if we wake up often, are we able to fall back asleep easily? If we wake up, we can... I remember wake up so many times and each time or some of the time it took me hours to fall back asleep. Then maybe it indicates some symptoms of insomnia. But normally, based on the science data, uh, any or normal adults, we all wake up on average about between 10 to 20 times per night. It just most awakenings are so brief, we don't remember it at all. But we actually think about that at night. We possibly can remember our bad partners are turning. We possibly can remember brief weakenings, hearing something or sensing something or ourselves turning. Those are very brief weakening moments and they are very normal and healthy. But uh, if you have far more too, too often, uh, like too many of these weakenings and they and disturbing your sleep, then that may indicate your sleep actually is more fragmented than it, what it should be and may indicate some other type of sleep disorders. For example, if you have sleep apnea, 
sleep apnea a lot of time happens around like REM sleep when you are dreaming, then you cannot breathe well, your whole body try to survive, so it wake you up. Every time you try to fall, fall asleep and try to dream, your body wake you up. Then you end up having a lot of awakenings and you end up have to use restrooms more often than normal adults. Uh, or you have some other like type of PTSD, you are afraid of dark, you are very anxious, you worry someone going to break in, those can wake us up often too. And that's more psychological. Hmm. Uh, you mentioned sleep apnea in there. And I think that's one of the things that I don't want to say self diagnosis, I want to say spousal uh, diagnosis. <clears throat> in other words, my wife tells me I have uh, sleep, sleep apnea, and I'm sure that's I'm not we're not uh, unique in that situation is you get the person who's witnessing a person either snoring too much or going through this what looks like to be choking in their sleep. Is snoring necessarily a uh, a manifestation of sleep apnea or can it be unrelated? Chronic snoring, I mean. <laughs> right. So I would say snoring is not the um, necessary factor to diagnose sleep apnea. What we see often is if someone's snoring chronically often, and they may indicate there's some sleep breathing problem. So normally you want to see a sleep doctor talk about that. They're going to check your throat, check your airway. And then if they think uh, something is abnormal, they will refer you for a sleep study. And after a whole night of sleep study means you're going to wear all these wires and sleep in a lab, sleep lab for a whole night. Then you get your data, you know exactly whether you can be diagnosed as clinical sleep apnea. Um, but, you know, people, some people who snore, but they, they end up not being diagnosed. Some people, especially women, are not snoring, but they actually do have sleep apnea. So I would say it's not definitely an equation, but it definitely, if you're snoring, there's some indication that the, the air is not flowing in right. That's why we are making the noise. That means our body, our airway is trying really hard to breathe. Uh, it does not get enough air, enough oxygen. So when it's trying so hard, it starts making the noise. Right. Uh, yeah. And I, I, the part of the diagnosis and the stuff, I believe you have to actually go into a hospital and go through a, a sleep testing and be observed for quite a few nights in a row be, uh, to be actually uh, diagnosed and get that kind of that mass treatment and all that stuff that people wear for sleep apnea. Right. Right. In, in America, uh, I don't know about Europe standard, but at least in the United States, you just need to go in for one night. Okay. And the data should be enough to diagnose you if they find something. But I thought, well, I almost went into one several years ago and I could have sworn that they wanted me for like seven nights in a row and wanted to watch <laughs> me for seven nights in a row. Uh, Ronnie has a question that I was going to ask because, and it's back on dreaming, and it's the idea of, Number one, sometimes you, you talked about dreaming. Sometimes you can wake up and remember a dream really, really vividly in the moment that you first wake up. And then as you go on, you, you try to recall it and it gets fuzzy. There are other times where you don't remember it at all when you first wake up. But at other times during the day, you may recall it and say, oh, wow, I had this crazy dream last night. And now uh, why, why the difference in memory? 
Yeah, so it can be a lot of different reasons, but if we are not using any substances, uh, there's no additional things because dream normally is happen the second half of the night. <laughs> we we have deep sleep the first half of the night, and then we start dreaming up to the point we wake up. So I think it depends on how many dreams are happening and whether you wake up right in the middle or right after one dream, and you may remember some of part of the details vividly uh, and also sometimes even though we don't remember but because we dream is some image happening in our brain during daytime certain things words things can trigger that memory our brain quickly link back oh i just saw this image in the dream so now we we remember that's just how our memory of how our brain works in general but if we use substances like marijuana or alcohol those can actually suppress our dream. So when we are on those substances, we tend to dream less. So once we stop using it, or when we are trying to cut it down, a lot of people are going to start experiencing a rebound, a RAM rebound. It means we start having more dream, longer period of dream, and more vivid dream than before when we were using it or before we use it. So um, that kind of dream recall can be very, very clear and vivid, sometimes to a point very scary. Well, I'm sure Ronnie has never used marijuana or alcohol. I, I would I would vouch for him uh, if I could, but I don't really know. Uh, <laughs> but uh, lucid dreaming now, uh, and this is, well, it's not exactly where, where, where I want to go first because this idea that uh, – Often, some we wake up with a dream that felt so real, and it was a positive experience, and we want to go back and recapture that dream, and we never can. It's impossible, isn't it? It depends. Some people don't want to wake up because they want to continue their dream. Some people actually could. Right. <laughs> some people couldn't. We do have some control over our, our dream, actually. Some and people can actually go back and, and get back that same dream. They want. Uh, I've never been able to do that. I, and, and it's, we can uh, actually train our brain to to change the dream actually it's a treatment it's evidence-based treatment called imagery rehearsal therapy to treat nightmares uh and if we have repeated nightmares one theme or different theme and we don't know what to do with it we can actually write this dream out rehearse it and change the content of it and when we redream we can experience more positive dream and slowly we are less scary of our dream so we actually our mind somehow can have some control over our dream but the foundation of that is we are not trying to go into dream to control it we want to accept whatever is going on but also know we can empower ourselves to deal with it our own way dream does not have to control us so what you're describing there that's what that's typically what is meant by lucid dreaming correct am i or am i incorrect in that yeah, lucid dreaming is more, um, it's not exactly the same as nightmare. Actually, I just talked with a guest on my podcast, talk about lucid dreaming, that episode come out, I, I'm sure people will find it very interesting. So lucid dreaming, very similar. Actually, when I discussed that with that guest, I find out in lucid dreaming, it's, it's, it, you just have more sensations about that and some sleep psychologists would recommend you know there are certain ways for us to be in those lucid dreaming we can use certain things to check 
whether we are in a dream or in a, reali in a reality. Actually, we are able to train ourselves to distinguish dream from reality. And then once we can do that in a dream, then we can do a lot of things about the dream in the dream. So it's very interesting. The human mind is just a, a, a really bizarre thing, isn't it? <laughs> yes, our mind is fascinating, and there's so much more we don't know about it. Nowadays, a lot of sleep science talk about when we are right now, we are talking, we are awake, but part of our brain are sleeping, right? And when we are asleep, part of the brain very active. Go back to the earlier question you, you, you mentioned, that why your mind is so busy at night, because at night our emotional brains are working crazily, but our frontal lobe, our rational brain is sleep. So that's why near sleep time at night, we start getting so emotional. If we are worrying about things that just go wrong and wrong, the, but we can think about something again and again for a long period of time, but we won't get anywhere because we are not logical enough. A lot right. of times we have to rethink about that in the morning again. I, I know some people, uh, and I've known some people in my life who just have the ability to say, I'm going to go to sleep. My brother was always this way. I'm going to go to sleep. And like that, he's, he's sound asleep. I'm jealous of that. Um, and I'm not sure why he, he has that ability. Uh, have, has there ever been a study like on most people who just have a really uncanny ability just to decide, I'm going to sleep and, and just flip a switch like that? <laughs> yeah, we we just can train it. We can train our brain, train our body. We use other things to relax. There we call like... Um, buffer zone, like half an hour before sleep, you do something very relaxing, but it's a routine day after day, day after day. That way you train your brain. Oh, when I start doing this, oh, I, I gonna go to bed soon. Once I go to bed, oh, it's time to sleep. We train our brain, our brain, our body start listening and it's more in tune with the signals inside and then sleep can happen naturally. More yeah, what about, um, and you mentioned marijuana and alcohol, but the, the, the other drug, that I think is uh, more prevalent uh, or more plays a bigger role in this uh, difficulty sleeping is caffeine. And mm. uh, I, I'm guilty of when I wake up, I'm, I can, I can't function until I get my caffeine. Is that psychological or is that physical? Both. <laughs> because uh, psychologically, we do rely on that. Me too. My morning routine involves one cup of coffee, but a lot of people when they have they when they start having sleep problem, the first thing they cut off is caffeine because they read all these things. Oh, I I need to you know stop caffeine, and then they start having this withdrawal effect of caffeine, headache, very fatigue. When they are sleeping poorly, that's just really bad. So caffeine, I would say, just for everyone to know, the half life of it actually are really long, longer than we thought. Caffeine can. Uh, Half-life is about four to seven hours. So that means for some people, caffeine can take up to 14 hours or more to get out of your body. So, but for some people it's shorter, right? So really depends on whether you are sensitive about with caffeine, then decide how to use it. If you use it in the morning, fine. But if you're sensitive and you use it in the afternoon and evening, then by the time you go to bed, it's still in our system. It's still right. functioning. 
And I think part of the problem is it's in things be other than coffee that we may not be aware of a lot of times, like uh, lots of products, especially soda products and, and carbonated right. stuff like that have caffeine in it. And so uh, it's it's in a lot of different things that can cause that. So we don't we don't realize how much caffeine we're taking in could be, uh, as I mentioned, so I if I think I have 70 of those. <laughs> 70 of those disorders which i clearly don't have all 70 <laughs> right like but chocolate has that, caffeine Coke yeah has absolutely caffeine. uh what about the rest of diet is there any other uh important things people should know about diet and and what you take in and what and good foods that promote healthy sleep uh rather than those negative foods that that take away from healthy sleep yeah that's actually a more new area in sleep science right now uh people really start thinking about live healthy and food actually do play a good part because after you eat a lot you do have this dip right your blood sugar goes high you do feel more tired right after lunch, for example. And then naturally, sleep-wise, we do have afternoon dip. We do feel a little bit tired, plus food digestion. So um, there are more research coming out. I would say um, carb sometimes is not very helpful for our sleep. And there are some research talking about night at night before you go to bed, what you can eat can be more helpful. Sometimes nuts and uh, fiber. Uh, and the tart juice, I believe, is there some research talking about whether that can actually help with sleep? Not much research on milk, even though I do see some people recommend that. And even myself sometimes have this uh, feeling maybe that can help me, but it's not necessary. There still need to be more research done. But I did talk to some of my colleagues, also sleep uh, psychologists. Some of them do study the uh, microbial groups like uh, in, in our guts area, in our body, actually how those little bacteria in our body, living in our body can regulate our circadian rhythm too. That if you schedule your food uh, fasting for certain hours before you fly across time zone, that actually can really help with jet lag. I had a great episode about that with a guest. I learned a lot. Very interesting. Yeah, jet lag is is one that is it baffles me uh, because our bodies don't know that we're just because me- time is just a, a concept that we measure, and so our bodies don't know that we just we're just calling the. the this hour a different number but they obviously do in some way and and it's 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 a baffling thing you have any insight on that how how does your body know that you're just calling three o'clock six o'clock now because you're on a different coast (laughs) or whatever yeah that's a very good question our genes our body do have certain receptors to receive the signals from around us to know, like first we have internal clock, right? But once we change the zone, the body's internal clock still keeps the old way, but the external stimuli change. Like one thing is a light. Our light directly goes through our eyes to trigger how much melatonin it should release. At night, if it's dark, um, then we know, okay, to a certain time we should release melatonin. But if it's bright light, sun sunlight, then 
it, the brain, the body knows, oh, no melatonin right now, it's daytime. And so wow. the light is definitely a big thing. And then food, when do we eat food? How much we are eating is another signal. And exercise, physical activities, that's another signal. So all these are great signals for our body to learn, oh, how to adjust this clock. So the with that idea on the light, the people who live in northern Alaska or in the most southern parts of South America or Australia near the South Pole there, uh, they must, uh, when it's dark for six months or, or, or longer in some places, they must have a real issue with this kind of stuff. Do, do we find that to be true? It can be really hard. Uh, I I don't know the research in detail, but I heard like more on the mental health part. I know people in Alaska, uh, the suicide rate is really high. I don't know whether there's anything to do with this time change, longer darkness. And But that's why we have light box. We have light therapy to help our body to adjust to a certain schedule. And we, if it's always dark, we do want to have certain sunlights or else our system uh, will be easily get confused. They don't know what's going on, how to adjust it. Um, earlier, we, we talked, we touched briefly on marijuana not being good for your dream stuff and all that stuff. Uh, but in, with the advent of medical marijuana and people who are uh, advocates for it, some people push it as a sleep therapy. Now, I tried marijuana once, um, <laughs> and I found that it makes it uh, more difficult to fall asleep because your mind wants to. My mind wants wanted to be creative on it, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so, and 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 now all of a sudden I have creative thoughts. Uh, so, what is the um, what is the the, the actual truth about this is marijuana a good sleep uh, therapy or is it is it a bad sleep therapy it's it's, bad therapy. i would say the research still going on i had a conversation with one colleague in stanford about this before so nowadays based on the limited research i would say i would not recommend that yet in my own practice because lack of evidence and mixed evidence and I think rely on anything like that, like marijuana to fall asleep is similar trick for our brain, right? I have to rely on something I cannot rely on myself. I don't trust my own body. So what I learned from my colleague who really study substance herself is like marijuana uh, or cannabis products actually can be separate to two different things. One is THC, it's harmful. One is CBD pure CBD, uh, it is it is good. But the technology nowadays, based on what she knows, that these two things cannot be really separated uh, perfectly. So no matter how many CBD oil on the market say it can really help you sleep, they still contain some THC, which is harmful to our right. body and mind. Um, so when we are using those things, the result can be very difficult to control what is in it, how much is in it, and it's very hard to regulate right now. Um, so in general, uh, would you say that, uh, because you, you mentioned that it's mostly psych psychological, in, in mo most cases it's more psychological than physical. In general, would you say supplements are a bad thing? And, and uh, I'm, I'm specifically referring to this product that I'm testing because, uh, as I say, it has it has helped me fall asleep better and stay uh, asleep uh, more consistently. Uh, but 
and I said, my wife says, I'm not, I'm not really the kind of person who would be susceptible to the placebo effect. Uh, obviously, everybody is susceptible at some on some level to the placebo effect, but she doesn't think it's all men- mental. Uh, do you think that my reaction to this is all mental and uh, just on supplements in general to help you fall asleep? Is that something? So- I would say for supplements, my idea is I believe they have some benefit and to different people, the benefit can vary. Uh, And overall, I do see like for people have emergency um, insomnia, like very quick, intense, very severe insomnia. And sometimes using supplements or some sleeping pills can really help them calm down a little bit to maintain, at least get them some sleep. And then treatment can go in slowly uh, along the the treatment course, like the CBTI treatment method I talk about. Often I see during the treatment course, four to six weeks, people can start cutting down the supplements they are taking by themselves. And they can feel equal amount of energy and uh, um, feel sleep better. So they feel more and more confident in themselves and in the treatment. So they have less dependence on the supplements they are taking. Uh, So I think supplements do help a lot of people to in a certain way and to a certain extent. It's just not a whole like lifelong thing. And it's not always a necessary go-to because we, our body, no matter what it is, I don't know what's in it exactly for a lot of supplements to a certain point, our body build up this threshold. It just, we have tolerance to it and the, the effects on us become less and less. So then what we do, do we take more of that or like it just lose effect on that is that something wrong with us or something wrong with that supplements right, right. yeah i so think it's a a, i think a lot of people are they just want to assume they have a a sleep disorder when they really have a lifestyle disorder right. uh you know somebody's doing cocaine all day long and we can't figure out why they can't get to sleep at night uh that kind of thing um exercise i know exercise is good for gen for health in general does it promote better sleep necessarily yes definitely so three things we we say three things in the morning time in the daytime can really help improve our sleep quality at night because i always want to promote sleep quality not just sleep quantity not about how many hours you sleep you really want to have high quality of sleep and these three things during the daytime you can do one is exercise you have a little bit more um, physical activity, including exercise, and then bright light, the sunlight. And the third one is uh, interaction, the interaction with other people. So those three can really help us build our sleep drive. So it's the sleep drive builds up uh, like along the day, by the night it's high, so means we are more sleepy we're easier, it's easier for us to fall asleep and it's easier for us to have a better quality of sleep. And that's why exercise during the daytime definitely can help us. But you don't want to exercise right before bedtime. Ah. That I can think, interfere. I think you. a lot of people, you know, I, I, I'm guilty of that. When, before COVID, <laughs> I would go to the gym at night because that that's the time when it's not crowded and, it, and it's not, you, you can get on a machine without having to wait in line and, and, and clean it and, and all that kind of stuff. So that would be uh, the time I would go. And then, yeah, I would 
have trouble falling asleep, but I have trouble falling asleep all my life. Uh, I have a lot more to ask you, but we're running out of time, and it's a fascinating subject. So um, if I can just go just a couple minutes over the hour, I would appreciate that. Um, uh, this I, The idea of um, breathing techniques and, and self-hypnosis and all that stuff, hel- helpful, real, real, not real, what is your take on it? Very helpful, I would say, but not the only way. That's the easy answer. So when I treat insomnia or any like sleep difficulties, I still teach people to learn uh, self-soothing, to learn relaxation using breathing technique, using some meditation. So I always tell people that help us regulate our parasympathetic nerve system. That's only one of the system. But the other one, the sympathetic system, still needs more cognitive work like how we think about sleep, how we worry about things, how we interpret challenges, threats around us, that gets us into fight or flight state. Just by practicing relaxation, it's not enough to calm down the sympathetic nerve system. So relaxation, self-soothing, breathing, hypnosis is similarly in a way, it's all helpful in a way. Uh, but if you have more severe, long-lasting, chronic insomnia or sleep problems, you may need more than that. Interesting stuff. Um, and now, lastly, be- before I let you go, we'll back on you and your practice and, and mindbodygarden.com. You mentioned earlier that there's a 45-minute general um, uh, evaluation. Uh, I'm guessing, and again, this is just throwing darts and, and assuming things, so, uh, that the period of time that somebody would have to expect to uh work with you or or, or, uh, um, be treated by you, however you want to classify it, uh, varies among people with different conditions. Uh, What what do people expect uh, from going to your website and getting started working with you? Yeah, so people can find some articles uh, from my website. I have a lot of information. I try to give a lot of free lectures and my podcast, Deep Into Sleep, all talk about sleep disorders and techniques and knowledge. Uh, all those are free resources and people can find on my website. When people want work with you, with me, normally it's something already bother you, impact your life, impact your function. You are not sure you want to have an answer or you want to know what the next step is because you cannot figure out a way to help yourself anymore. You possibly tried a lot of things. Then you are welcome to contact me and I'm happy to consult with you and uh, assess a lot of different things, use my knowledge, and then help you figure out, okay, what I think, what we are looking at, what the possible next step could be. Uh, next step does not necessarily mean it's going to work with me continuously. Maybe I refer you out to some other local resources, link you with other professionals in the field, or maybe it's not even a sleep problem. And then I will let you know after the evaluation during the consultation, just help you understand what your, from my point of view, what, uh, what's behind your struggles. Excellent. Excellent stuff. How often does the podcast come out? Every week, every Wednesday morning. 
Every Wednesday morning. Great, great stuff. I uh, thank you for this. I, I have so many more questions, but we are out of time. Uh, it's a fascinating topic, a fascinating subject to me because it's, it's something I think most people struggle with, at least in some aspect of their life. And it's something we just don't understand a whole lot about. And unless you've spent their life studying it like you have, uh, most of us are clueless and, uh, there's a lot of misinformation out there. So I thank you for your time and insight and, and, and spend this time with us and kind of clearing some of that stuff up again i have lots and lots of questions i hope you come back sometime and kind of uh you know indulge me for another hour of of these kind of ridiculously dumb questions (laughs) i would love to no dumb questions you know we all have curious heart so and thank you for having me really a pleasure oh it's a pleasure and thank you so much and and have a good night thank you bye for now This episode is brought to you by Put Me in the Story. Put Me in the Story creates personalized books for kids by taking best-selling children's picture books and well-loved characters and allowing you to create personalized books that make your child the star of the story alongside their favorite characters. Save 25% store-wide when you click the link on MindDogTV.com and use the code SAVE25. We're also sponsored by Lovely. Lovely is your online stop for modern, irresistible, and affordable women's clothing. Never before has dressing yourself been so easy. Lovely's carefully curated selection of apparel, accessories, and outerwear are always on trend and always available at the web's best prices. Lovely is dedicated to delivering high-quality clothing to women that will make them look and feel their best. They believe every woman has the right to dress well and shouldn't have to spend a lot to love how she looks. They make it easy to wear outfits you love every day, giving you the confidence to take on the world. Lovely.com summer fashion trends are now 40% off, starting at just $5.99. Get an extra 18% off when you click the link on MindDogTV.com and use the code JFT18. We're also sponsored by Vapor DNA. Founded in 2013, Vapor DNA is the premier online vape store offering an industry-leading selection of electronic cigarettes, e-liquids, and accessories. Their friendly and knowledgeable customer service team is always ready to provide the best customer service experience to ensure you find what you're looking for. They guarantee their products to be 100% genuine and at the lowest possible price. They're so confident in their selection and customer service, they offer their customers a 45-day refund policy. Save 20% when you click the link on MindDogTV.com and use the code OrionQ. Dr. Yishan Zhu, folks. Uh, wow. A uh, lot of lot of stuff to absorb there. A lot of stuff to kind of go over. Uh, again, you've, you've heard me say this so many times, but this is one of those episodes where you kind of need to download it, listen to it several times, take notes. We covered a lot of stuff there and still have so much that I am still really curious about, about the subject of sleep and, and sleep disorders and solutions to sleep disorders. Uh, and I know you are too from all the mail I've gotten. So I know you got something out of this program. I, I, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you come back and tell your friends about it. Subscribe. Go to my YouTube channel. Subscribe there. Go to MindDogTV.com and get on my mailing list so you know when we're going to have great guests like this on 
and questions and comments for me, info at minddogtv.com. Info at minddogtv.com. Let me just check what tomorrow's schedule brings. Oh, Bill Carmody, we're gonna talk <laughs> we're gonna talk about business stuff at 1 p.m. Leadership and team building and that kind of stuff at 1 p.m. tomorrow. So join me then. Till then, I'm Matt Napple for the Mind Dog TV podcast. Thanks for coming. Have a great night. Get some sleep and bye for now. Dreams Dreams come and go The passengers in time Changing ever as we Die. End of